It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Do you know Engageo? They're leading the revolution in account-based sales and account-based marketing. Engageo enables companies like yours to orchestrate human connections at scale and build hyper-growth sales engines. Let's meet Joe Chernoff. I'm Joe Chernoff, the VP of Marketing for Insight Squared. Our very first purchase when we shifted models was Engageo. Engageo very quickly became the centerpiece of our account-based marketing strategy, both the technology as well as the content they provide. Engageo's platform lets you engage the right account at the right time so you can close more deals faster. So if you're interested in joining leaders like Insight Squared in the account-based everything revolution, then be sure to visit engageo.com forward slash accelerate and download your copy of their new book, The Clear and Complete Guide to Account-Based Sales Development, and then come back and listen to the rest of this exciting episode of Accelerate. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to be talking with my guest today. Joining me is Chris Brogan. He's the CEO of Owner Media Group, providing skills for the modern entrepreneur. He's also a highly sought-after professional speaker and the New York Times best-selling author of nine books and counting, his latest being Find Your Writing Voice. Chris, welcome to Accelerate. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So is there a a new book since Find Your Writing Voice? Well, there's one on the way. I am working on one for the nice folks at Wiley called Make Your Own Game, and it is how to uh, take stock, break the rules, and own your life. I think that's what we decided on for a subtitle. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I like it. Sounds good. So what's it? Uh, give us some, a preview of what it's going to be about. Oh, sure. Um, you might be the first podcast I've talked about it on. The, uh, the first, there's a couple pieces to the book. In fact, one little idea that I had was I think that there's so many people out there that believe that they're too busy. And so I made a book for them called the uh, fast book. And right. that'll be the, f- the first, like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 pages of the book. And then I have a section called the real book. Um, so I'm technically writing my own like cliffs notes or right. something for, for my own book, uh, because I thought, you know, what'd be kind of neat is could I encapsulate it in a small book for those people who don't think they have time to read, uh, and then write the real book for people who know that that's never going to get you as far as you should go. Um, and so the first half of make your own game is actually how to win a game, which there's three basic questions to that. What's the story? Um, meaning how do I understand the setting and the players and everything involved in any kind of a situation? Um, how do I play? What are the rules and the mechanics of mm-hmm. any kind of business or life situation? And then how do I win? You know, and that's how you work on other people's games. And then the next part of the book, make your own game starts to ask the question, well, what do I really want to do? And who do I want to do that with? And how am I going to get that done? You know, and that's kind of to answer that question. A lot of people have, and sometimes inside of companies on, you know, who do I want to be when I grow up? Um, You and I uh, talk to a lot of different types of companies where they say that innovation is important to them. And the minute you start talking about innovative things, they all go, oh, that's not how we do things here. (laughs) Uh, And so this will be, you know, maybe my 10th attempt at saying, look, guys, 
that's what innovation means is it means you do things that aren't already in the little blue book with the binder on the shelf and you go, Oh, okay. Okay. That, that could work for us. And I think that companies are scared of that. So this book is a bit of a choose your own adventure, Andy, because it's, you could, if you just a run your own company kind of person, great. This book's perfect for you. If you're a guy who works for a guy who works for the lady up top, you're going to do great because it, it talks about things that we don't usually talk about in business, which is like, what does your boss really want from you? So that's, that's what I'm working on. And I mean, when we're talking about this, like I'm, I'm at page like 34 in writing it. So it's not like it's a baked thing, but that's what it will look like. Coming out, yeah. Well, so that sort of leads to one of the questions and topics I want to talk about today, which is something that, that I'm concerned about and I talk about frequently is, and you'd written a, a piece called, what do you lose by fitting in? Mm. And, uh, I str- was struck by that because it seems like increasingly we're in this age where somewhat contrary to what people think is is conformity is being emphasized right you have all these tools in which to so supposedly you know social tools express your individuality but actually we i see this pressure more to conform and i see this in in sales for instance we have a sales audience as you know i've seen this sort of advent of this much more rigid sales processes right and people saying that the art of selling is dead. It's all about the science of selling and sort of disintermediating the human out of this. And people wonder, well, why aren't we as an industry, why, you know, you read the reports from CSO Insights or all these people, and, you know, 50% of reps still aren't making quota and the close rate in the business-to-business world are dropping. It's like, well, of course. <laughs> I mean, but why, the answer seems to be in so many cases is, yeah, we got to, we got to fit in more. We could be more conformist as opposed to prizing the individual and uniquely human aspect of what selling and marketing is all about. So I just opened uh, a pretty decent business deal with a company. And I got to tell you how dumb this really is. I wished somebody else on Facebook happy birthday. And this person's friend, and I never just write happy birthday. That's the right. piece of the story you're not getting is I write like a missive to the person. Anyone who's my Facebook friend, I write why I know them or what do I like about them or why you should follow them. I really try to connect, which mm-hmm. is an important thing for any sales professional, right? So in this process, some nice lady saw this post to this other person and said, huh, he's pretty interesting. Clicked on to figure out who I am, went, oh, we could use this guy. And now I have a business contract in front of this person. Now, there's no way in the world that wishing this woman happy birthday, I was thinking this will lead to some revenue. Mm-hmm. But right there, Andy, is the whole challenge facing all sales professionals, all sales organizations, and all company bigger than three people. We now uh, exist in this universe where in which everyone seems to think they don't have enough time. And everyone wants everything to run on a dashboard. And there is the endless fight, dear sales professional, use the damn software because I'm too busy to talk to you and ask you how it's going. I need to see on a dashboard if if this deal is green or yellow, right? right? And that's all I want to care. And if it's red, you're fired. And, you know, that's all we have time for, we think. Um, And in part, it's true we've let all the middle management out of as many companies as we can. We had to, right? Like Because especially publicly traded companies, they were told, look, you got to cut some fat somewhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's nothing more more fat than the right. guy that carries the report to the other guy. <laughs> right? And, right. you know, it, it's endless. So now, hey, sales robot, you can put your sales info into the sales computer and we'll give it to the mama brain. Big data is really important, Andy. Right? That's what everyone says. Now, on the one side, they're not wrong. All sure. these people carrying around their index cards of their Glengarry leads, 
They're losing stuff. They're losing content that's so useful to a sales professional. If you have to call Melinda over at, you know, incrediblepants.com and, you know, you're trying to land a $200,000 deal with Melinda, but you don't know that Melinda also owes the company some money on another project or whatever, you start making concessions or whatever. Well, now you've got a conflict. There's all kinds of problems. And that data is stuck in a salesperson's head somewhere. Yes, we need that data surface. But the problem, the big conflict is this. Uh, leadership all wants systems in place that are dashboardized, which is totally not a word, but it should be. Um, they want the down. Salesforce plugin. You know, they want the other conflicting not Salesforce plugin. Forget those guys. We were these guys. Uh, but they want, and they want you to make your quota. And they want you to do it faster than ever before. They're implementing software on corporate cell phones to make sure that they know where you are. Like you're some kind of very important cop and you have to be in the right driveway at the right time of day. Um, so they don't trust anyone. And they're, they're signaling this with software. And on the other side, you as a sales professional have the exact same goal you've always had, which is you've got to make a human connection with your buyer. Right. It, we only buy from people we like. Um, no, I can trust, right. I was in the business of uh, acquiring a new data center for my company when I worked in wireless telecom. And I was the senior project manager on this project, but I had a very strong vote at this table. And uh, I went to a, one, one meeting where the people treated us like we were, and I felt like we were going to buy a pretty substantial amount of space from them. So they right. should have treated me a little nicer. They didn't. So we moved on. Nothing about whether or not it was the right economic answer. It was like, they didn't treat us nice. I couldn't expect to have good service if I had downtime. Right. Mm-hmm. The next guy, uh, we, we land there at lunch and there's supposed to be a kind of like office pizza lunch thing going on. And the guy's eating with his mouth open. And I don't know, but that was the only reason why I didn't pick this guy. Cause it turned me off. He was like, right. <laughs> and I thought, I don't, I'm grossed out by you. That's like right. how clean is your data center going to be if you don't actually right. know the etiquette to close your mouth when you chew? Right. Crumbs so how I was making a $2.6 million decision when we finally bought, we bought from a really good company that did really important work, blah, blah, blah. We did all our diligence, but none of that fits on a, on a Salesforce document. I can't type anywhere. Mike chewed on the, you know, chewed his pizza weird. So I'm not buying from him. Right. And so, I think that's the challenge. What well, is one of the challenges? So, but what, what's it take for, sales rep these days to sort of break out of the conformity and say, look, it's always been the case that, as Jir said, you know, the, the, uh, the individuals are the differentiator, you know, as the sales rep. So it's being squelched. So how do they break free? How do they have the summon the nerve to said not fit in, but, but uh, you know, stand out? You know, one of the things that's interesting to me about this is that it's not that hard to start figuring out what somebody's into these days. We all contribute without anyone forcing us. I, I don't remember whose quote it is. There's a really great quote out there somewhere that says that, you know, uh, there's no way George Orwell could have predicted how much how willing we were going to be to rush towards um you know, 1984, like yeah. we made it for them. We did. No one had to wait. Right. So when you start looking around at people, when you start Googling them nowadays, uh, before going to your sales meeting, you'll, you'll see stuff about them. Uh, you look at Chris Brogan on Instagram and you'll say, Oh, this guy goes to the gym a lot. I don't get that. Cause he looks fat and weird, but I guess he's at the gym a lot. He eats You're a lot of, a lot. yeah, I rucksack. Yep. Yeah. So these are, the tools that sales professionals use to build relationships. And I, you know, I've often said that I'm amazed that everyone thinks golf is the only way you can get a deal. 
how come no one wants to play, I don't know, Call of Duty or something? How come nobody's getting a big video game LAN party together? <laughs> you know, there's other ways to, to bond, right? And so I think that salespeople are scared because they, they anything to get the deal. I mean, there's a massive difference between not making your quota uh, and thinking, well, what if I upset this person, right? I mean, there's also, mm. you have to teach people a little bit about how to be themselves by not being the most insane version of themselves. Um, I have this sort of joking, uh, term we use often called the Perez Hilton hot mess line, right? <laughs> it, you know, if Perez Hilton was going to write about you because you're that weird or something right. like that, then, then you've probably got too gone far. Right. And we see news stories like this almost every day now in a place like Facebook of like XYZ person getting fired because they said something anti-Semitic or whatever. By the way, perfect. Like, I, great. I fired a guy because he uh, made a racist comment to somebody once. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was one of my only two firings I've ever done in my career. And I was like, yes, I do it every day. Right. Uh, but there's a world of difference between kind of being yourself and trying to communicate and reach people on a much more human level than there is. Uh, you should bring your confederate flag to the next meeting kind of thing, right? Like right. there's a, you, you could start to find some ground where you could run it by the other sales team. You could have a little sales meeting where you say, what's cool to talk about that's not work related. What do you guys think? And I'm sure you'd brainstorm some stuff, but your, your buyers are all into stuff other than the sale. Uh, I, I worked in wireless telecom. We did B2B stuff. It was mm -hmm. nothing but B2B. We bought servers and data farms and we right. did all this crap with big guys like AT&T but when we got to a, you know, a pre, you know, we're having a cup of coffee, we'd say things like, well, do you go to movies very often? Whatever. Right. Well, I think that we need to codify this in all of those technologies and all those systems. Now, well, I should research. I don't know if you've seen, there's been lots of research in the last two weeks about the value of small talk. I, and, I haven't yet seen we've it, got but I sales trainers that go out and say, do not waste a minute of the customer's time with small talk. And yet this research is coming in pretty authoritative research saying there's incredible value in small talk and building this relationship that sets you apart from the other person. You know, Andy, I have a, I, I'm guilty of one thing, which is, uh, I sort of force familiarity on people a lot sooner than they're probably ready. And by the way, Americans, uh, in the larger world, I know you've done international sales. Uh, Americans are known for this. Like we're yes. known for like, Hey, best friend forever. And like Europeans or anybody else, like, don't touch me. Uh, because, uh, what's the, what do they say? It's like, we're sort of like an avocado, like we're super squishy, but we have this hardcore. That's uh, the real part of us that you're never going to see. And, uh, yeah. Europeans and others are like, uh, I think they call them pineapples where it's like all spiky and miserable on the outside. But when you get inside, it's all soft and sweet. Right. right. Um, so small talk's important, but my misgiving, uh, my failure is that I try to get there really fast. Like, you know, Hey, what'd you, what'd you watch on Netflix last night? And like, that's not the what? first sentence, it turns out. Yeah. Well, hey, you called me handsome earlier today. I did. See? I find you handsome. I'm well, not, I'm you. straight, but I find you handsome. Thank you. And I, and I blushed appropriately. But uh, yeah, no, that's, I think that's a, it's a great analogy. Because yeah, I did a lot of international business. And, and yeah, I mean, you were given all these protocol lessons before you went to your first trip about what you should and shouldn't do. But what I found actually is in Europe and Asia, South America, as, as people appreciated the authentic you. You know, the, the thing that's become weird to me, uh, I don't, uh, I'm a little weirded out by there's so many people trying to teach authenticity and teach transparency. Mm. Uh, 
because it's like trying to, I don't know, teach humility. And I think that unfortunately it probably does need to be taught in some ways, but I also think that teaching authenticity is like, you know, scripting improv, right? right. Like it's kind of the antithesis of what you're supposed to be doing. But I think that we've been to your point about conformity. I mean, we're taught all through the entire schooling system. What does school really mean in the U S system? Anyway, it means I'm getting you ready for the factory. Yeah. Or at, I'm or socializing at you for work, right? Yeah. And it's not, I wish they were socializing my kids for work. They're socializing them for a factory. They're, so, they're socializing that every cog has to fit exactly so. But the work that we'll maintain uh, in the Western civilization for the next little while is the non-mechanized uh, work. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when people are making jokes like, someday a robot will take your job, they've taken your jobs. Right. There's transaction systems everywhere that have removed lots sure. of human interaction. There's lots of restaurants now that let you buy stuff off an iPad. Right. Um, and I'm not I don't know, I'm not some weird Luddite saying let's not do that. But I'm saying that that's where our individuality becomes ultra important because selling to the right thousand people is always going to trump selling 10 million people. Uh, and, and all the effort it takes to try to get the match. I think that trying to sort of take your Glen Gary leads and crisscross them with people I would have coffee or a beer with is a much better way to start building the, the sales relationship and how to stand out from your, your colleagues. Well, I think part of what I say, though, too, is, is making people just understand. I agree with you. Teaching authenticity is, is not something you could probably can do. But maybe, maybe you have a better word for it. But I mean, I... What I tell people is, is in sales, and this is my experience has shown me, is I only need to be 1% better than the next guy to get the business. You know, I, I don't need to be 10% better or 20% better, but there's some differentiation that I'm part of as the salesperson. I'm the front line of differentiation. If I can be 1% better than my competitors, then once the customer makes that decision, they're going to make a change, then my odds of winning the business are pretty substantial. And I think you've probably found those almost always to be in the uh, softer parts of your transaction. Would I be right about that? Meaning oh, yeah. the it's, it's never price. It's never the no. contract. It's never the uh, you know maintenance fees or something like that. It's something you brought to the table that's a little hard to, to explain perfectly well, but that actually put the ink on the page. Yeah. Well, and there was a research been done by some professors at Harvard, but well, it was in the Harvard Business Review. I'm not sure they were from Harvard, but it was about uh, what they called tie-breaking selling. And they've done this research and they found that that yeah, the tiebreakers are rarely price. In fact, you could actually be a little bit more expensive. But if you have these intangible, you know, their perception of you is, yeah, somebody I know, like, and trust, somebody I can, you know, is going to deliver the value that, that they say that they're going to do, then yeah, you, you may win the business, even be more expensive. I think that, you know, when it comes to all of the ways that you can accelerate, you know, to, to sort of echo your podcast name, I think that we spend our time in the wrong places as well. Sales professionals spend their time in the wrong places. They spend their time uh, surfing off really weird cold leads, uh, arguing with uh, marketing that the leads they received aren't any good. Mm. Um, of course. Uh, doing a lot more mechanical relationship building, a lot more like copy-paste email lists and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and you know, not a, not a soul alive receives one of these copy-paste emails and goes, oh, they mean me. Right. Right. We all know, like, first off, heaven forbid, it's from some other platform that, you know, we've already received it from some other person with a different name on it. Uh, How many times have we received an email meant for somebody else or or they just forgot to replace the first name field? Right. Right. Um, So that's where we spend our calories instead of 
you know, why can't we be as simple as a piece of paper on your desk writing notes about what the person's really into and the fact that, you know, uh, Jennifer had a college exam coming up. My grandfather was the number one candy salesman in Augusta, Maine for Pine State Tobacco way back in the old days. He was a leading candy salesman. They used to give him trips down to Disney World for it and all that. And I went on his sales route with him a whole bunch of times. Right. I never saw him sell a damn thing. Right. I saw him hug people, talk to people, tell jokes. It took me years to learn that he told dirty jokes when I wasn't around. <laughs> I thought he only told very clean, kid-friendly jokes. Um, and he knew everything about every one of his clients. Right. And, oh, by the way, they'd put in more orders for candy. Right. Um, you know, candy is pretty easy. I, do I need or don't I need more lollipops? Um, There's but a big he had, candy store in Maine, right? Right past the border? Yeah. Well, and called? his was he was more like a, every um, uh, a bus depot right. and all kinds of weird little variety stores when those existed. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I, I took that lesson into how I sell. I want to have relationships with the people I sell to. And I think anything more than a simple transaction sale, like how much for the popcorn, you really have to put that into it. Yeah. And yeah, people are so busy trying to scrub it out of it. Yeah. And, you know, there are these, uh, this is not my term, but I heard uh, somebody use uh, conferences, you know, these set of uniquely human sales skills that should be prized and developed because that's what's going to withstand and hold off the automation. If someone in Bangladesh can make phone calls and land the deal, um, everything in that process is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 you know, no slight on India. I'm just picking a call center location. I could have said Vietnam. Um, but I, I would say that it, the last mile is almost always the way. I was looking at LinkedIn, which I so infrequently do because usually the only contact I get there is someone who just lost their job and it's never any fun. Um, but this guy was a sales guy uh, at Sun Microsystems when mm -hmm. I dealt with him a long time ago. There's a name you don't hear that much anymore. Right. Um, and when you were talking about the differentiators and all that, I was thinking about, we bought from him over this other guy and he was more expensive. And the difference besides that was that he just, he always answered the phone. He was always available in some way. Right. And I have no idea what his home life was like, but I knew that if I asked Ben a question, I'd get an answer real fast. And the other guy just seemed so busy. And so I think it's weird that so many professionals in life tend to show how busy they are all the time, which makes me judge them uh, negatively because they don't really know how to handle their lives very well. Right. Um, I always tell people I'm not busy, I'm blessed. I mean, the reason you and I didn't talk earlier today was a simple technical challenge. I'm still not busy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have plenty of time to talk with you because that's what I want to do. Right. Um, and I think that that becomes important to this whole process. I, and, and I don't know, I, I feel bad because I know that some salespeople are listening to this going, oh my gosh, can we please get another guest on that only wants to talk about quotas and, uh, you know, opener lines. Uh, but you know, my best opener lines in sales have a hundred percent been custom to the one human in front of me mm -hmm. and non-repeatable. And I think that that's true of any of the top salespeople. And I think the only people that will tell you that they have an opener uh, that works 100% of the time is someone that's selling you how to open 100% of the time book. Right. So don't you think there's been this sort of uh, imbalance between, I see it in training, and I it's certainly see it in sales, but I see it perhaps in other professions as well, is we talk more about skills rather than behaviors. You know, you talk about responsiveness. I'm, that's, if you've read either of my books, half of them are about responsiveness. You know, if I had the choice between hiring a sales rep who was really good at giving presentations or was, as you described, the guy from Sun Micro who is incredibly responsive, give me the responsive person every day of the week. They're going to sell more than the really skilled presenter. So why aren't, why aren't we teaching more about just these fundamental behaviors, which at root are really just human behaviors that are applicable in, in any circumstance? 
I, I think that where there's something that you, you never get fired for buying IBM, right? Yeah, I, like was the, that, I was the victim of that many times. I hear that. Believe me. I've always been, by the way, in everything I've ever sold in my life, I've always been at least the B brand, maybe the C brand. Uh, you know, I, I did some work with Pepsi and I made him mad right out of the gate because I said, you know, everyone outside of this room considers it is Pepsi. Okay. That's, right. that's their inspiration, you know, appreciation of your soda pop brand is they asked for Coke and the person said, is Pepsi, Pepsi okay? okay. <laughs> and that of course makes them very mad, but I've made a career out of saying to big people, Look, that's how people say it. Like, I don't, it's okay if you want to feel sad right. that that's what's true right now, but that's what people say. And so we got to figure out why it's going to be better. And, you know, Pepsi's done an amazing deal with, you know, Gatorade line, mm -hmm. with uh, all their other things, Quaker Oats. all that, yeah. Yeah. So w why we don't teach it, though, I think, Andy, which was your question, is that w I look at your books, you know, Zero Time and Amp Up, and I, I think that people who, uh, have a little bit of budget to train. If you're a sales manager, you look at uh, books like that and you go, all right, I can see that there's a whole tangible thing here we're going to get. And it's an expression I've used a lot. It's you got to kind of hide the broccoli inside the cake. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you've got to basically say, uh, oh, it's it's like a, a David Zink Zinko said, a men's health magazine. He said he could, t he could measure 30 to 40% sales drop every time he didn't put the phrase six pack abs on the on front the of Ben's health magazine. And he said, I could put anything after it. Like I could put, you know, uh, roll into Thanksgiving with six pack abs, um, right. change your car's oil better with six pack abs. It didn't matter. Just those three words, six pack abs, the sales would go up or down to 30 to 40%. And I think that in sales, I've already apologized, I think twice in this interview for saying, geez, I feel like um, people are going to feel bad that this isn't so meaty. So I think, you know, we're, we're sort of trained uh, in, in tr helping sales professionals to give them really numeric stuff, really tangible stuff, really metric driven stuff. And I think part of it continues to go back to the robot overlords and that we expect that if we can't measure it, then it can't be true. And what is interesting, though, is, is you know, I've, over the last year, I've interviewed probably 400 people and, you know, sales leaders, sales thought leaders, probably as many as, if not more than anybody else. And what I'm finding is sort of a consistent thread, though, is, and especially a lot of the CEOs from these Silicon Valley startups, the SaaS startups that are selling sales technologies or not, or using the sales technologies to, to sell their service. And you ask them what their biggest challenge is, and they say, getting my salespeople to really engage with the prospect. So it's funny, you know, they're, they're selling all the automation, but at the end of the day, it's that soft skill that's the missing link for them. Yeah, well, and I think that, to my point a little bit earlier about the fact that you, it's scary to wonder how you're supposed to do it, how don't I upset somebody, how, how do I do this in a way that I feel conscious of people's time, to your point, small talk, don't make small talk because you're wasting their time. You know, uh, what's, what's, it took me a while to be okay with talking about sales at all. And it was because I'd been exposed to so many bad salespeople, mm. so many, you know, employee. I just try, went to type gmail.com into my browser to look something up. And I landed on G-M-A-L-I, jamali.com, which took me to shop.reduce.com. And, uh, which is a really not super high level looking page. And I thought, what human being who mistypes gmail.com lands there and goes, oh, oh, I think I'll click on it. I think it's time to do some business. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, you know, 
seems like a good idea. And who knows? I could be totally wrong. The hundreds of millions of mistypes of gmail.com a day, maybe that person gets plenty of cash and I'm a big dumb idiot. But we buy from people we like and we buy from people we trust. You said it. No like and trust. Um, I think that, you know, then to your question, why don't we have more people training on that, Andy? I think it's because it's so much harder to give a test on that. It's so much harder to say, oh, now people should trust you. Yeah. So a question for you is, and this is sort of the last question we can dig into here is, is okay. I was fortunate earlier in my career, and it seems like maybe the, the situation has changed, and I sort of feel it many times with bosses, because I may because they're so data-driven, is that is that we had a very distinct process. My first company, we're selling against IBM, selling computers. We were the number two company. Um, it's had a very well-defined process, but I found that I could be more successful if I just modified that and moved about 30 degrees this direction and did my own thing. And, yeah, my boss was okay as long as I brought it home, right? Delivered the goods. But I'm finding that it seems like people feel more constrained these days and less willing to sort of take that slight variation, right? To be that individual within that that environment. And I was wondering what you see in that regard. I mean, and because that's, to me, that's sort of the core of things. And maybe it's because some of the managers are insecure, you know, not letting their people go. But... I think we could really transform productivity. And I've seen it in companies I work with. If you just let the people loose a little bit. Um, uh, My very first response to you in my head started to sound a little bit like kids these days. Um, I think there's a a bunch of us all looking for a template or a blueprint or a plan that's already laid out. And then we'll just follow that. Why don't you just tell me what I should do? And I think that it's always last mile challenges. You know, in the phone company world, we had, it was always called the last mile, which meant that central office, last mile selling. There you go. Exactly. So, um, because everything all the way to here to here to here to was great. And the problem was almost always from the pole to your house. I worked in, I worked in Ma Bell, telephone repair service that my job was just to keep calling, listening to people call me and tell me their phones were broken. It was a million times right there. So what needs to happen, your your point that they're not really, um, they're not really willing to branch out or or do whatever. I think that they're not given really simple systems either. Like you Mm -hmm. asked me a question about my next book and make your own game. One of the things that I've been teaching for a couple of years now in business are really simple systems. Uh, I came up with this, uh, a priority management type thing because I think time management is mm-hmm. a silly word. I, you know, we all get the same 24 hours. Right. Um, I figured out three hours worth of priority every single day would move your business better, right? And so I said, well, no one really has three hours in a row, so let's break it into nine, uh, you know, nine 20-minute slots right. so it looks like a Rubik's Cube, uh, and that's my 20-minute plan. And in that process what I started saying was follow this and it, like everyone be like, Oh, okay. And then they see results a couple days later and they're like, Oh, so we, for some reason that we don't teach how to generate and then follow a really simple system, even though mm-hmm. every one of us must've played a video game by now, we all played Pac-Man and said, what do I do? I eat the dots. Okay. Right. Don't, don't touch that thing. Okay. Right. Um, that we like systems when they're in things like games, when we play poker, we know that there's the turn and the river and all that sort of a thing. This is how we love this feeling of, I know what's coming next or whatever. And yet for some reason we don't implement it when it doesn't exist already ahead of time for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the next thing to do is start teaching people. How do you make a simple system that teaches you how to win the thing you're trying to win? And you're going to have to come up with it. But 
I'll give you all the ways you can think of it and then it'll work forward. And that to me is the kind of the missing link that could move us forward a lot faster. And it, it, the beauty is it doesn't take a whole lot of hard work to figure that out. It just, get, you know, it's a little bit of self-permission and then you start moving forward. Well, I think that self-permission is a big part of it, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So Chris, we're in the last segment of the show where I've got a few standard questions to ask all my guests. And the first one's a hypothetical scenario of which you're the, you're the star of the show on this one. And that you've, Chris, have just been hired as a VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. And CEO of the board anxious to hit the reset button, get a turnaround in place. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? The first thing I would do is I'd start creating content. Uh, that is my, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. I would create content because I think that what's always starving in companies uh, are behind the scenes information, interviews with the people who do really cool stuff there, and uh, a lot of how-to information that would help people move from thinking about it to I'm going to go with this guy. Right. Okay. That's one. You get two. Oh, oh yeah, I got two. So let's see, I make some content. Uh, the next thing I would do is I would start asking my best buyers so far, how else can I help? What else can I do? And who else needs to know about this in the most loving possible way I can? I think we're so afraid of asking for uh, nice, warm referrals these days. Right. And I think that pendulum needs to swing back. Okay. All right. Good answer. All right. So now some rapid fire questions. One word answers if you want, or you can elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you, Chris, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Uh, Straightforward nature. I guess that's two words, but straightforward nature. You can have as many words as you want. So who's your sales role model? I guess Zig Ziglar. Okay. So what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson read other than any of your own? Uh, Business Trip Bear by Richard Branson. Ah, very good. I love that one. Okay. Last question. Tough one. What music is on your playlist these days? Ha. So if I'm at the gym, it's usually kind of louder and heavier, but mostly positive, which is weird because I grew up listening to really angry, heavy metal. And now I listen to much more positive things, uh, which may or may not be Christian music, etc. But that's not the part that I'm into. Right. I'm into the fact that they're not saying mean things, but still really loud and brrr. Do you have a band? Do you uh, sure, Manifest, M-A-N-A-F-E-S-T. He has songs like Fighter and No Plan B that I think really speak to our thing. The other thing, just totally to make it so incongruous, Andy, uh, 90s hip-hop. 90s hip-hop, okay. Yeah, that gets a lot of votes, actually. Sort of maybe third on the list. I'm going to publish a list soon on that. I just published a list of the five most frequently recommended books by my guests. I saw that. Yeah, and so the music is going to come next. Uh, ACDC is number one on the list so far, so... Wow. Yeah. Maybe that just speaks to my, how old my guests are. Or actually, it's not even all the old people that say that. So, well, Chris, great to have you on the show. Uh, tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch with you. Um, either chrisbrogan.com or owner.media or just Google Chris and I should be one of the first few results you find. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And friends, thank you for spending time with us today. And remember to make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success easy way to do that is join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Chris Brogan, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 